0: Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We're so glad you're joining us. This episode is part two on a series of toxic positivity. And in this episode, we're going to examine toxic positivity from the viewpoint of the church, and we're also going to do a theological view on the subject. Here to dive into that are Evan, Michael, and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast that explores faith and well-being. I am Evan DeYoung, and I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts.
1: I'm Lindsay Geist.
0: And Michael McCord. Good to see you guys. That is the smoothest we've done that before. That was good. It only took (laughs) two takes.
1: Michael, you said it's good to see you guys seeing us, not the people listening. Okay.
2: that's good to speak to them, too, I guess. We don't get to... You know, Hi. I, feel like we,
1: I feel like we use all of those phrases like it's great to see you or things like that. And we don't see people anymore. It's funny mm-hmm. how phrases like that just stick with us.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. it, does, it doesn't go anywhere. I, I, I say that all the time when I hang up the phone or really when I leave voicemails. Do you ever just say dumb stuff on a voicemail that you're leaving for somebody? Do you go? Well, first question, do you even leave voicemails anymore? I know a lot yes. of people have stopped. Nope.
1: I leave a voicemail because half the time uh, the voicemail will either say call me back or no need to call me back. Um, but then if you don't leave a voicemail, then the person doesn't know.
2: Listen, I'm not going to call you unless I want you to call me back. If if I don't need you to call me back, I'm just going to text you. Okay. That's the rule. So if you see my number come up, that's because I then want I better to call you to. back. That's right. That's right.
0: I always get halfway into leaving a voicemail and then forget if I said the thing that I needed to say because I was doing the hey, hope you're well. This is my number. This is who I am. I left a really bad voicemail this last week and I think I said this is Evan and um, I, if you could call me back, I need this insurance. To, anyways, that'd be cool. Hope you're good. Six, this is my number. Call me back. And I was like...
2: I just feel like there's a lot of pressure in a voicemail. <laughs> I left a really to bad. To get voicemail. it right, because you can't go back. Mm-hmm. And then it's then it's recorded, and if if you make a total fool of yourself in this voicemail, they could keep it forever. It's a lot of pressure.
0: We used to do cold calls uh, to. Invite people to programs and things like that that we'd been given contact information for, and we would rate the voicemails that we would give. So when somebody else hung up the phone, we would like write a score on the whiteboard. So that was like a <laughs> seven out of ten voicemail. One time, uh, we had a coworker who closed the voicemail call with the student. They said, "Anyway, so we really hope you'll be able to make it out. Thanks. Amen." <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, the worst though. <laughs> Have you ever said at the end to someone whom you don't love?
0: <laughs>
2: I, I love you. <laughs> love you. Love, love you. you. <laughs> talk to you later. Yes. And you can't yes. go back. <laughs> and you're like, and then I'm like, oh, wait, no, I don't, I don't be, sorry. There's no way to, there's no way to backpedal out of that.
0: That's the adult Goodness. equivalent of calling your teacher mom,
2: right? Like <laughs>
0: yes. it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> like the oh, same like your stomach goodness. drops out your body gets all tingly you know that you did it you're back there at elementary school I'm,
1: I'm grateful for moments like this where we can laugh at how human and silly and
0: a mess we all are oh it's very true and this week speaking of a mess we are talking about toxic positivity <laughs> again uh, so Lindsay can you give us a brief overview of what toxic positivity is and maybe a little bit of what it isn't as well
1: So toxic positivity is uh, kind of whenever any situation you're in, no matter how bad it may be, the expectation that you have to have a positive mindset or a positive uh, reaction to the whole thing, uh, it's very different than hope and optimism because those are important in life. Um, and those don't shoot down any negative emotions. They just have positive beliefs for the future. But toxic positivity means that no negative thinking can exist, and everything needs to be positive, which is so exhausting. I'm and exhausted. So unhealthy.
2: Hearing you talk
0: about it. Yeah, I feel like I experience a lot of toxic positivity in my own head when I watch my favorite sports teams especially Atlanta sports I feel like the phrase a lot of time left there's a lot of time left in the game we can still do this
1: but that's but that is optimism belief that you can still do this that toxic positivity is if you start feeling bad about it and you go, no, that will never support my team. It's not helpful. I cannot think negative thoughts. I can only be thinking good thoughts because that's what's expected of me.
0: But what about when I've been hurt so much?
1: There's still, again, we need to be honoring the the non-positive emotions.
2: That's right. I mean, I think the difference between like optimism, I think of, uh, It's like happiness. The difference between happiness and optimism is, is that this happiness is sort of in this toxic positivity, this idea that I have to be happy no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Like the only right emotion is happiness. Um, When optimism would be, this really sucks, but I believe life will get better.
1: Or this feeling won't last forever.
2: Or this feeling won't last, or I will get through this. It's an actual acknowledgement that as a Falcons fan, you have experienced loss, but you have always have this, this sort of persistent hope that one day we'll have a good season. And I think that's a good way of kind of thinking about what it's like in someone's life when you experience a life situation. I know these I I, I I know these people have experienced them where there's just this, like you said, it's like the immediate reaction is, "No, I can't. I can't. I can't deal with it. I can't have. I can't be sad." That's not Christians aren't sad. I've heard phrases like that. Um, Christians aren't mad. Christians don't get upset. They can't be depressed.
1: They're not disappointed. Yes, right. We are not allowed to be disappointed at what we don't have in our season of life or what isn't working out because God has a plan. That's the one that I hear all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we're uh, I, I think we believe in a God that is big enough that can handle us saying, I don't. I struggle to know where this is going or where you are in this instead of shaming ourselves for our own questions and doubts and uh, sad and disappointed thoughts.
0: I think that's a great entrance into where we see toxic positivity in the Christian faith is that God is in control or God has a plan as a way to dismiss Uh, our current circumstances, where else do we see toxic positivity in our Christian faith communities? Because I'll just say Christian faith communities, because that's where we're in.
1: Mm -hmm. The phrase, everything happens for a reason. That, I mean, both this idea of God's plan and everything happening for a reason means that you should be, implies you should be okay with this, even if it's painful, because God is doing something greater out of this.
2: So I think uh, back maybe our second episode or third episode very early on, I talked some about my, my father's death in the funeral. And the, I think that's a place where we are especially sensitive or uh, attuned to this idea of, of positivity that we can't let death grip us and we can't let sadness grief grip us because we have to bounce because we're uh, people will say we're Easter people. So we believe in the resurrection. And so we got to we got to bounce out of that sadness and right into joy um, and try really hard to just ignore ignore the the, the the hurt that that exists when you lose somebody. And so I can remember sitting in line, you know, it, it, people telling me those sort of things. We're Easter people. Um, you're going to see your dad again. God needed a lawyer in heaven. Like all these like.
1: Why would God need a lawyer in heaven? You know. I mean, I'm hoping that God doesn't have a lot of legal issues.
2: It's got pending (laughs) litigation.
1: I mean, what (laughs) in the world? (laughs) Sometimes I want to know, do people think through the logic of those phrases too? Not only are they hurtful, but they sometimes they make no sense.
0: As someone who speaks before thinking, (laughs) I can answer that
2: question. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think that's the that's exactly what that is. It's it and I think that's where these kinds of toxic statements come from is we don't know what to say but we've been trained that what we what we don't want to say is anything that's sad.
1: Or I wonder I I believe that and I wonder on top of that if we are so uncomfortable with seeing other people sad that we try to get them out of that sadness fast. It's like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that. Or, Oh, that looks hard. Um, Let's see if we can pluck you out of that pit and put our lives and our relationship normal again. Or
2: fear that's contagious. Yes. But somehow I'm going to get sad Mm -hmm. and maybe I can't pull out of the sadness. And so Mm -hmm. the best thing I can do is try to be Teflon and just, just be bouncy and happy and, you know, it goes, that...
1: it, it goes into too what how much control we believe we have over all of our emotions. That if we had a sad moment, it's because we didn't have willpower or something to be happier. And that's not true. All feelings are neutral, they exist. We're the ones that decide which ones are shameful. Mm.
2: Right. We don't protect against getting happy. Yeah. Because we think the happiness is some gonna help, somehow gonna mess us up or we won't be able to get out of a happy status. But we are very fearful of dipping into sadness or to anger or to, to whatever opposite you might describe mm-hmm. from, from happiness. But yeah, we we think that there has more more power on that side.
0: I think it tags into the Idea that negative emotions are bad, and that bad is the result of consequences, and especially in the in the Christian faith, that anything that makes us feel bad is bad and is some form of punishment. Potentially, it it, it, I think how we view forgiveness and humanity and why we were created, why we have. Or believe that we have souls and that the state of our souls matter, there's this punishment, this fear of punishment that comes with it. And it's like negative experiences and emotions are punishment. And I think we, we really do think that. I think when something bad happens to us, we ask ourselves realistically, what did I deserve to have this negative thing happen? And I personally, I translate that. Directly to even emotions like, well, I feel sad today. What did I do to make myself feel sad?
1: Yeah, that there's this direct correlation and cause and effect. Instead of things just happen in the world around us and we respond to them.
0: You don't want to be a bummer. I mean, just to be real. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to be kind of that wet blanket when people are doing well. You There's this fear that you're going to bring other people down. And I do think there's more appropriate and less appropriate times to bring up our sadness? You know what I mean? Like at a baby shower, we should be excited and maybe shouldn't be really sad and express that and steal someone else's moment. I think that that gets used a lot too. Like I'm going to interject my sadness to make this moment about me. I see that a lot.
1: There might be. I wonder with that if it's less about like we shouldn't be sad in that moment, as that might not be the appropriate place to express that. I think sure. is what I hear you saying that that for somebody a baby shower could be a really sad place and hurtful oh, yeah. place. Somebody that um, wants children and hasn't been able to, uh, or for all sorts of reasons. Um, That can be a painful place. I agree with you that I think hijacking a situation and uh, kind of word vomiting our hurt, that might not be the appropriate setting to do so, but it's also okay to have that feeling and then make sure that if you go to that baby shower, that afterwards you do some processing of those feelings of sadness to even be honest with yourself of maybe that was really hard.
2: Well, I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If if we believe that somehow sadness or bad thoughts are bad, like any of mm-hmm. those those things are bad and we should avoid them, then what we'll do is we'll attempt to avoid them until we can't anymore. And because there's not a lot of places in our communities where we get to talk about sadness, where it's appropriate, where the community has made it appropriate to talk about being sad, then... They generally bubble up in places that are not appropriate mm-hmm. because they tap into emotion in another way. It's, just, it's it's going to come out, right? I mean, that's my experience with grief and sadness is that it will find its way out. It's just whether or not you have you know, sort of a conscious role in it coming out.
1: I think of the phrase um, that you see lots of places, good vibes only or positive vibes only that doesn't mean only good or positive vibes exist. Um, it, And so, yeah, I just really struggle with, uh, it might be that those, those other vibes have to exist and come out somewhere.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's a scriptural basis for these mantras or promises or phrases that we get and apply to perpetuate kind of toxic positivity. And I think there's... Nothing wrong with claiming the promises of God as we see them in Scripture. I see a lot of people talk about, you know, joy comes in the morning, right? It's that we focus on that one half of one verse in Psalms that talks about joy coming in the morning and not the 10 verses before it that talk about all the sadness that is the like processing that happens that the psalmist is doing. What is that scriptural basis for us taking the promises and positivity of God and then as humans we squeeze it to the point where it could become toxic in our faith
2: communities i think that's a really interesting question because i don't think scripture really lends itself to this kinds of positivity if you if you read it within context the, there's a lot of hurt
1: mm-hmm. the bible's
2: filled with lament with sadness with hurt with disappointment with anger with frustration and you know, there are moments of joy and celebration, but but they coexist in scriptures i I think what we're actually up against is is the Christian bookstore where in that that whole industry where they attempted to provide and again, I think I think probably for good intentions, like try to provide helpful phrases and slogans and pillows and stickers for your car that are uplifting because you're not going to put a sticker in your car and say, Hey, it's okay to be sad. Maybe we should make that. Maybe we should, it's, it's okay to be sad. Um, <laughs> you know, this is, it's going to fly off the shelves. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Be happy is, is more the, the realm that Christian pop Christianity wants to go because, it is a hurting world. There's a lot of people hurting and suffering. And so there's this, I think, attempt to point to happiness, again, to resurrection, that that all will be better and all will be made right at some point. Um, because that's easier to deal with than acknowledging the hurt that exists in the world. But if you go to scripture, I don't think there's a place that you can really hang your hat on that supports this kind of positivity that we've created in 21st century Christianity.
1: Thinking about your uh, kind of bumper sticker or inside your car motto idea there actually is a really great book on grief called it's okay to not be okay
2: now i have maybe seen that as a bumper sticker that that could be mm-hmm. a bumper sticker
1: yeah that one i don't know that to me does not feel like a debbie downer it's encouraging to me when i'm allowed and freeing to me when i'm allowed to uh not feel happy, go lucky and positive all the time. Cause I'm with you, Michael, that if we really spend time thinking about scripture, everybody's not skipping through meadows in the middle of scripture going, God is great. And the world is wonderful. And I love everything about my life. Um, there's a lot of people that go, I really hate my life and what's happening right now. Mm. And this really sucks. And this is not what I dreamed of.
0: I think the concept of hope ties into what you're saying there, Lindsay. And I think that we're called to have hope. Like that is one of the prevailing themes of scripture to me is that there's there's hope. We have a God that we can put our trust in and we're not to lose hope. But that doesn't mean that you can't be sad and hopeful at the same time. When mm-hmm. we have parties and get togethers, whatever those are, <laughs> we make like a place. No, we've forgotten what that's like, right? When we see our- people
1: in person. Like maybe even within six feet of somebody or inside or something wild and crazy like that.
0: Yeah. Our rule is no bummers. So like we make a playlist for a party and we say no bummers. Like that's our friend rule is you don't put any bummers on the party playlist. I think that's great for parties. Life is not a perpetual party as much as I Mm -hmm. would prefer for it to be.
1: I mean, you are a person that uh, we've talked before. Loves to have fun. And would rather not spend your time experiencing pain and sadness. That's not as easy for you. You know, you need to, but that's not your natural tendency.
0: Mm. No, it is not.
1: (laughs) And so I wonder for you, even what this is like. uh, Because for somebody that, and And I want to clarify that uh, this is not me trying to, like, throw you under the bus. I hope that we...
0: I'm ready to be (laughs) tossed under the tires.
1: That um, you are somebody that works hard to hold intention, uh, positive feelings, and feelings of uh, hard feelings, sadness, disappointment, uh, because your natural nature uh, is to lean towards those positive feelings. It's like that feels more comfortable. That feels more fun. I'd rather be there, but I know I need to be in both.
0: I think that's what I really appreciate about scripture and the role that it's had in development. I think growing in the faith, the idea of not ever being done that God's not done with us is really encouraging to me and the idea that we are supposed to put our hope and our trust in god it's great but when i read the psalms especially like the ones in the 40s you get lines like my tears have been my food day and night like if that isn't a line (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> like literally all I have had, I, I'm not hungry, and the only nourishment I've had is the tears from my body sustaining me. But I at the end of the song I would say, but but I like where are you, God? But even though I don't see you, and even though I'm I'm starved for that connection, I trust that you're still there and that there's purpose there. Like the acknowledgement of the lament and then the conclusion that I even if I don't see it. I'm still going to, I'm going to try to believe it. I'm going to make decisions that put me on the path to see your goodness and to see that hope fulfilled in my life is massive, but it doesn't show up on a bumper sticker really well. And it's, it happens in the context of relationship and it's in the give and the take. And it's when we just try and slap something positive on, it's like that ever seen Flex Seal. Like it's like this tape that they like stick on stuff, and the commercials are great. It's classic made for TV commercials where it's like, "Hey, check out Flex Look, you can." Was oh,
1: that the tape that fixes everything?
0: Oh yeah, um, but here's you here's, can build a boat. I love it. Okay. You can build a boat. They like drill a hole in a like oil drum, and there's water pouring out, and the dude. Is just this
1: like the fancy ver- <laughs> Is this the fancy version of duct tape? Cause isn't that supposed to fix everything?
0: Yeah, flex tape. I mean, they have it, but that's how it is. It's just, it's just. Oh, you're leaking. Don't worry. Just slap this on it. Ignore it, and we don't acknowledge that that doesn't fix the problem. You've just fixed like the temporary leak. And toxic positivity is just trying to th- throw tape on everything. And at some point, when you go to pick it up, it's gonna fall apart. <laughs> it, it's it's like kicking the can for humanity down the road. And when our faith communities tend to be this bastion of toxic positivity. It disconnects from the reality of the human experience, which I think the Christian faith speaks to on a deep level, but we just skim all the sweet stuff off the top. And then we just kind of leave the rest of it to just kind of fester in a tub.
1: We skim the sweet stuff, but we also skim off the top. What feels safe. I mean, it feels more comfortable to talk about happy peppy things. Um, Even the Psalms, the Psalm that's often avoided that um, I have preached on a few times, but most people would probably think that I'm crazy is Psalm 88. It's a Psalm of lament and all the rest of the Psalms of lament um, are, are crying out to God in sadness and anguish, and then also hold intention hope that the future will look different. Psalm 88 is an entire psalm of where are you, God? Life really sucks. And I don't know if it's ever going to get better. And I love reading that psalm because it feels so truthful for humankind some days that it doesn't have um the other psalms of lament I believe aren't toxic positivity. They are holding sadness in tension with hope. But this one I love because they're it just lets you sit in the sadness.
0: It's unresolved.
1: It's unresolved and yeah. sometimes I wish that it was it was more widely accepted that we could sit in unresolved sadness. Um, or maybe that I was even more comfortable with it myself or the church was more comfortable with it.
0: I think that's one of the things that I really love about art, be it film or music or uh, visual art poetry is that it art is like a game that allows us to experience something and get pulled into a moment that is something that we can experience with safety. Because I, I, I uh, you've, you've probably had these moments where you're listening to a song and it just connects with the moment that you're in. And it's not necessarily a Christian So I'm not talking about we're just like blasting Michael W. Smith in our like 98 Honda Civic while we're on our way to youth group or whatever. But trust me, that's good. Is ast- that a personal oddly uh, specific. <laughs> that's an essential part of the Christian experience. Trust me. <gasps> is that there's, it connects with something deeper, inside of you and gives you the ability to interact with it. You know, you see something in film and you show and you get pulled into it and you say, Oh, there's something that's really reaching into my humanity with this. Like this, like the, the art exists to be able to express certain parts of the human experience and put it in kind of a lens at a silo. And I wonder if we don't connect with that enough in our faith as well. Like when we see things that move us in the world and in culture and, we just kind of say, oh, well, that's over there, and then my faith life is over here. We try and keep them separated. And and, and so I wonder to what extent that affects our kind of internal dialogue. Because I don't know about you, but I think one of the most toxically positive places is in my prayer life for hmm. me. Because I feel sad. And I want to move to me. I feel sad. And my first inclination is move out of the moment. Do things that stop you from experiencing sadness. So my t- internal prayer life, a lot of the time, I have to walk it back from being toxically positive that like, okay, God is not happy that I am experiencing negative emotions or emotions that I perceive to be negative. Lindsay, Lindsay's face. She's like, oh <laughs> I'm going to get him with this one.
1: I love, I love that we're enough episodes in that um, my therapeutic voice is starting to be inside of your head. That that's when you know that we've been doing real work.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> and so, when it comes to that internal, how do we relate to God? When we, how do we feel about ourselves? How do we feel that God feels about us? I mean, to, as a gross oversimplification of what like really meditative prayer is, is it's a time to sit and feel, okay, how do I feel about myself? How does God feel about me? And I'm going to let those two things kind of mingle in like a nice stew, and then eventually that will provide nourishment for my soul is one way that like meditative prayer can be experienced. And I wonder what some of our internal dialogue is, especially around our prayer lives, and how toxic positivity relates to how we think that God feels about what we should think. Does that make sense?
1: It's fascinating that not only do we need to feel good about our own lives all the time uh, with this idea of toxic positivity, balancing out with shame if we're not happy all the time, but I wonder how much that bleeds over to how uh, we see God of like, I must always be pleased and happy with God. And. I can't say hard things or I can't express my sadness because it's not accepted in the church and it's not accepted by God, Uh, which is not true at all. I mean, God can handle us saying some hard stuff about ourselves and about God. God isn't scared of those things, Hmm. Uh, but we are scared of those things.
2: So I've been thinking, as you all were talking about I think something Evan said made me start to think about this. Is that if if we can um, let me ask the question? Can one truly experience hope if you have not embraced loss?
1: I think that's a powerful statement because. It's if we always live in somewhat of a mountaintop moment, then we will always be in this perpetual happiness. And so I do think that we need to be experiencing a range of feelings to truly know what joy may feel like and to truly know what hope may look like.
2: Yeah, because I think that is the, the real damage that toxic positivity does or has the potential of doing is robbing people of building a reservoir of hope. And I think hope is built out of surviving hurt and, and mm-hmm. embracing it and experiencing it and then coming out of it. And that's how you develop hope. Uh, it's not something you just get. I don't think you're just born with a bucket of hope, and you use it, you know, throughout. And I don't think you can buy it. I don't think you can just, if you read scripture enough or pray hard enough, that you'll get more hope. I think hope is something that's that's created in us as we experience life. But if one, it's 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 like if you never really exercise your body, you're never going to get stronger. And it and it takes the full width of that emotion to be able to build hope. And the thing that the reason why I think that's so important is when I was an undergraduate, I did a study. uh, My thesis was on, on experiencing racism. It was a study that looked at how people experienced racism and how uh, satisfaction with life and optimism uh, correlated with the experience of racism. And one of the things that we found was that optimism uh, was a moderating variable for the experience of racism. In other words, if you had a high level of optimism, which is sort of a clinical term for what hope might be, um, that you believe things will get better, that you will get through this, um, that kind of driving thought, that it it reduces the effects of experiencing racism. So when when you develop hope when you live through hard stuff and you experience it you you acknowledge it and you grow from it you develop hope and hope becomes then the ability to withstand future heartache it it helps reduce the the impact of that hurt in the future that we're all going to experience and so the real issue is when when we as a church and as people of faith practice toxic positivity while we think we're doing good work helping people Feel good. The reality is, we're not letting them express their full selves, and they're not. And we're we're robbing them of the opportunity to experience what hope really is and what it can do for you in your life.
1: I'm really going to sit in that of when we always are uh, focused on toxic positivity. We are robbing others and of ourselves of experiencing our whole selves.
0: I think the, the question of to what extent is contrast necessary for us to truly understand and experience something is a really interesting question when it comes to toxic positivity and the human experience. Cause I, I think it, there's, there's two places that I would identify it. I think there's the individual Uh, then there's like the community and like prevailing narrative for the community too. Because if we experience sadness, for example, and we go through a process of contemplation and meditation with God around that sadness and understanding the circumstance and coming to terms with things that are ultimately outside of our control which is one part of faith to me, is there's a lot that happens in the world that's out of your control. Most things are. (laughs) And as a Christian, what does that mean and what do you do about it? Uh, And so I see that happen a lot interpersonally, but it's obviously the result of, it has to come from somewhere, right? It has to bubble up from the individual or it's prevalent in a faith community. Um, And I think it's really difficult to know what to do and to know what to say in moments. And I I, want to be careful that the way that I think about toxic positivity doesn't just become a bumper on the other end, right? Like, don't be sad all the time, but don't be too positive. So there's just kind of a lane that we have to have to be in because i think that's how transactional our lives are especially in american christian culture is that you know it it is it's like a dharma karma moment like you do your dharma you do your righteous duty and then you're going to get your karma right like that's a general way of thinking about good and bad and sadness that's been prevalent in religious culture it's n- not the case in christianity necessarily the idea that you don't get what you deserve all the time, right? But we take that exact same lens and we apply it to everything in faith, and Jesus very clearly dismantles that. I think especially when you look at his story of um, when he's walking with the disciples and they're like, hey, there's this blind guy. Okay, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? right? What happened so that he had to experience this consequence in his life? And Jesus' response that, like, no, like, they, they, like, there's not anything that his parents did. There's not anything that he did. This man is blind so that the glory of God could be shown. And unpacking and understanding that is really challenging for me. And it it does influence how I think about toxic positivity too, because that guy wasn't born blind and then thought in the back of his mind the whole time, thank God I'm blind so that one day I can be a revelation of God's promise. That, Like I, if I was born blind, that wouldn't be my like prevailing life mm-hmm. thought, but I'm probably not as strong of a person. <laughs> yes. The blind digger. But it it gets at the root to me of why we think that bad things happen, right? Why do bad things happen in humanity in general? The way that we answer that and our faith journey around that will probably land us somewhere on the scatterplot of where we fall in experiencing or wanting to lean on toxic positivity to survive and endure the human experience and emotions in general. There wasn't a question in that.
1: (laughs) I I think that the, I mean, I have a list in front of me of some toxic statements and non-toxic alternatives. And one of them that's on the list is things happen for a reason. And the alternative to that is saying sometimes bad things happen. How can I, support you and sit here with you.
0: I I think that's something that I'd love to talk more about is what we do when we catch those, because an Mm -hmm. awareness of toxic positivity is the first step. It Mm -hmm. seems like we would agree with that. And the contrast between challenging things and fun, joyful things is critical in developing hope for ourselves but what are some other statements that we catch ourselves saying that are toxically positive and how do we reframe
2: them to be
0: untoxically
2: positive? <laughs> the first one I thought of was you said this earlier. I think any time in your brain where you say I should mm-hmm. is a moment you should, <laughs> should, ah! should, <laughs> <laughs> might be a moment in which you pause because that is should is like a form of shame it's i whatever i'm experiencing right now is not the correct thing i need to experience something else when we use the word should like i shouldn't feel sad about i shouldn't feel this sad about this it was just my uncle you know or or I shouldn't feel this. It was just a bad grade. Or I shouldn't feel, why do I feel this emotion? Or why? There's just a whole myriad of emotions. But but if you start off with that phrase, I should, I think that's a moment where you can pause and say, it's okay to feel sad. And then if you find yourself saying, you know, I don't know if you should be this sad about it's that the word should is is one of those words where I think we just probably should pause a little bit and think about what we're saying and how we're saying it, what we really want to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the expectation of self and development or what should I do? That I, I, The way that we identify ourselves is, I feel like life moves so fast. And move so quickly, especially in our current culture, that it's way too easy to just brush past things.
2: Mm.
0: And I, th- that's more than technology. I think you know the the phone is the big target for those things. You know, it's just too easy to have too much information. But the the pace that we run life in our culture and conversely as Christians, toxic positivity is kind of like that flex seal, like that flex tape that we just stick on things so that we can move on and get back to our productivity. And I I, I worry that in my life I will equate being supportive with toxic positivity and that that's not what needs to happen you know i like that's that i think that's not what we're saying in in this conversation as well is that it's don't we've just i'm concerned that i would have created another category in which i could do harm in the future (laughs) so i don't do the right thing or i don't be i'm not supportive because i don't want to be toxically positive which in itself is toxically positive (laughs) Because you don't want to introduce a bummer into the situation, you don't want to be harmful.
2: I think, but it's really hard to pick apart. Just be present. I, I, I think the tendency to want to try to guide people's emotional um, leave that to, to experts like Lindsay to be to be guides, uh, to be emotional guides. You just be uh, emotional sojourners. Well, that's what we should be. Um, should that's what we maybe that's what we're called to be is just to sojourn with people in their emotion and let them not feel like there's something wrong with them
1: and to make sure that we don't do any comparative suffering
2: well
0: now that's one of my
2: favorite things to do
0: yeah tell us more about what that is
1: that um i've seen it so often in the pandemic and that's how it's wrapped up in toxic positivity as well Is that uh, people are saying how hard it's been being at home, being distanced from people, trying to uh, teach your kids, school them in a crisis setting. Um, And anytime we start saying it's hard, uh, we either catch ourselves or somebody else helps catch us and said, but it could be worse. Or at least a family member didn't die. Or at least you didn't lose your job. Or even things like really hard moments. If you did lose your job, at least you still have your house. What? I mean, there's always going to be an at least or it could be worse. Instead of us just saying, that must be really hard.
0: I think I apply wanting to be solutions minded just in general to everything. And I know that M- Michael is not like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and nope. It, <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why I love the three of us together is because all of our brains work very differently.
0: I don't like to approach a problem. I can't. I, Currently it is nigh impossible for me right now to not look at problems and immediately try and
2: solve them. I like to approach solutions. Yes. <laughs> it's it, that's true. It's my absolute greatest challenge in being a fully present person with my family with my loved ones with my community is that I see problems as opportunities for solutions and not just an experience of a problem.
0: And moments and seasons of sadness, I don't know if I agree with this statement, but I'm gonna say it. (laughs) Moments and seasons of sadness don't necessarily need to be fixed.
1: Amen. I think what I believe about that is that if it is extended sadness, I want you to get help and support. I don't want you to stay stuck there. But at the same time, I don't want us to fix it in the fact that being there at all in and of itself is bad. Like I don't think the existence that you have been in that place is bad or shameful or terrible. And how do we sit with somebody long enough that... We say it's okay that you're here, but we also hope that there will be something different in the future.
0: Yeah, the validation of the reality is a really interesting point in that. And that's traditionally been what I uh, fly right past. (laughs) for myself and for others. And it is, it's a challenging, this is a challenging concept to look at.
1: Well, what makes this so hard? And I mean, again, we're not going to solve and and give you all the tips in the world in only a few episodes on toxic positivity. What's so hard is that it's been so deeply ingrained in us. It's going to take work to... Uh, I think I've used this phrase before sit in the sock with other people (laughs) to sit in those hard moments and say, um, it, that sounds painful. That must be really hard. Your feelings are valid. I'm listening. I'm here with you. And saying those things to ourselves, it's going to take a lot of work. to go against the happiness idea that uh, the Christian church has pushed for a long time. That if you believe in God, everything's going to be better and fine and you should be happy
0: Mm.
1: because you have a savior who loves you. It should give you hope because you have a savior that loves you, but it doesn't automatically make you happy.
0: Right, God's just as much there when you are not having a dopamine hit
2: as when you are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
2: for me, I think uh, it's the theology of the of the Emmanuel, which is this this idea of God with us. And if you follow uh, Scripture's arc throughout history, you see that humans have this. You know, if you begin at the the Garden. Uh, There's the ultimate form of being with God in that place. And then you see sort of us humans mucking it up a good bit, and we get further away. And then we find ourselves again, God making present in our lives, and we see it. And it becomes a reminder that even if we muck it up, God is still with us. And then Jesus is the Emmanuel, the manifestation of God's with us by becoming with us in the literal form. And then, and then we, we continue that tradition through, through the, the power of the Holy spirit, which is that reminder that God's witness doesn't end just because the manifestation in that moment ended with the crucifixion that God is with us still. Uh, And so I think if, if there's a, a theological sort of hook, we can hang on for, getting through hard things and combating this desire to make things happy or to bounce off um hard things is that if we are experiencing heartache it's okay it, to experience it and to know that you're not alone in it because it's the loneliness that really can become overpowering if you feel like you're the only person in the world who's ever felt this raw of an emotion then then that can be really isolating. So God yeah. is with you. But the second part of that is as as a community of believers who believe that and share that life, then we're called to be with people, to be that manifestation with someone who is hurting, not to fix it, not to get them to bounce back and 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 see see how it's all just destined for one big ultimate cause, but that you're with them, the God with us that that's what we're in body, we get to be that presence with someone and i think if if we try to start practicing that maybe that helps to to um level out this desire to try to fix things all the time uh if you're if you're if your real responsibility is just to be with and if you're experiencing it know that you're that that god is with you and you are not alone
0: i love that that's my takeaway my takeaway is Michael's takeaway.
1: <laughs> I, I wrote down earlier the phrase, hope is built out of surviving hurt. I'm going to sit in that one a little bit.
2: It's, it's like a form of resiliency,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? I mean, if your child, we'd see it in children, if it, if uh, particularly college students, because that's what Evan and I work with. It's, they get to college and they've never failed a test before because they never really had to try in high school or middle school. And then they they do poorly on their first test and they are completely, utterly devastated because they don't they have a, they have not built up the resiliency to see that they can get through that kind of loss mm-hmm. because they've never experienced it. If we isolate people, protect people from experiencing loss, they'll never become resilient and be filled with hope which is what allows you to be resilient and loss and and to be able to live life more fully.
1: Instead, we often uh, have built this protective covering around people Mm -hmm. that then builds shame there, that we start believing that failure isn't an option and that failure means something about me Versus saying failure is a part of life.
2: That's right. I didn't just mess up. I am fundamentally bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, not to end on that note, but. And also not to, to be overly optimistic or, or, uh, or toxically positive, but I'm grateful for you all and for the opportunity to be with you through all that we've been through together. And I mean that both with the, the, the two people here that we're recording with, but also all those others who are listening uh, to us to be with you um, through what we've all experienced is a, a lot of loss and a, a lot of heartache and hurt. And now we're getting to that place where we begin to see some hope that mm-hmm. things are going to get better and that we've been through this uh, together. And so, thanks for letting us be with you. And thanks, Lindsay Nevin, for being with me.
1: Grateful for you both.
0: Amen. An affirming word, and you can end voicemails with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Well, thanks, Michael and Lindsay. Thanks, Justin, for producing this episode uh, and doing all the music. If you uh, like the music that you hear and you like the way that justin edits this podcast uh, you can pay him to edit your podcast too uh, <laughs> so it's up to you if you want to leave that in justin uh, and thank you for listening and for subscribing and uh appreciate the reviews we've had a few more reviews come in in the last few weeks and it really does uh, help us out
2: we're having a lot of fun with this one
0: so we will see you next episode good night and good
2: luck or well, good morning and have a great day I've always just wanted to say that.
0: Anyways, we'll see you guys next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody.